In today's 200 Voice podcast, we're going to hear from Janet Madron, widow of Stephen Madron, who was lost on the Solomon Brown in the Penley lifeboat disaster of 1981. In 2023, Janet was asked to represent the RNLI at the funeral of Her Majesty the Queen. I hope I did the institution proud. I tried my best and I felt a great sense of pride wearing Stephen's medal and representing the RNLI. I really did. He went out with my sister first, my twin, and uh, she found him boring because all he would talk about was boats and fishing. <laughs> and then um, we were going to the fair one night and the chap I was supposed to be going with didn't turn up. And Stephen was on the bus and he said, oh, I'll take her. So, and that was it. We started going out together and eventually got married in 1970. Within a fortnight of being married, I was one of the um, ladies of the lifeboat having to go and help behind stalls and things. And there I am, 52 years later. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a, a real character. In fact, they were all characters in their own way, but Stephen was a, a character. Aggravating, <laughs> annoying, but kind-hearted and willing to do anything for anybody. Um, yeah, he was. He was. A, a, he used to aggravate life out of me. He would do silly things, anything off for goodness' sake. But that was his character. That was his character. And one thing he wouldn't let me do was go on the lifeboat to be airlifted off the lifeboat. And that's what I wanted to do more than anything. And after he passed away and um, Edwin, his brother, had taken over as second coxswain, I said to him about it. And he arranged for me to be airlifted off the lifeboat and in the helicopter. And I was flown around the bay and put back on the helicopter. So I thought, I've done it, I've done it. <laughs> That day, we'd actually put up two Christmas trees and Karen had one and Ian had the other to decorate. Uh, Stephen had come out early in the morning to, because he had a second job over at the um, fish stores across the road. And uh, he'd left home early, but he, he kept saying to me, come and look at this sunrise. And I said, oh, go away. I don't want to look at the sunrise this hour of the morning. Anyway, he went off and he, he'd bought a couple of little um, Christmas tree decorations that day. And he went up to see my mum before he came back because he knew that she would be up. And he went there and had a cup of tea with her. And, and he said, no good going home yet. My crowd won't be up. Anyway, when, when he came home, we said, right, we'll do the Christmas trees today. So children did the decorating. And then in the evening, um, I took Karen, the daughter, to a Christmas party. And when I got back, Stephen said, the lifeboat is on standby. We're going to have a shout. There's a boat out there in trouble. So he said, you know, I'll, I've got to go. Well, with that, the phone rang and they were called and off he went. And I just had this awful feeling. I don't know why. I remember um, he hadn't even eaten his meal and I 
went down to the kitchen and we had a Rayburn and I opened the door and as I put it in, I thought he's not coming back for this. And I don't know why I should feel that way at all. I don't, it was a terrible night, it really was. And I, I went up and I watched them go past the island and I thought, oh, it was, it was awful to watch. And I pulled the curtains, I thought, don't watch anymore. And as the evening went on and I was listening to the, you know, to them talking on, on the lifeboat, the Coast Guards and the uh, Union Star. don't know, it was just this awful feeling I had on me all evening. That, and when I, the final shout from the Coast Guards asking... Attendant Lifeboat Farmer's Coast Guard, I understand you have four off and you say there's two left on board, over. Penny Lifeboat, Penny Lifeboat Farmer's Coast Guard, over. Penny Lifeboat, Penny Lifeboat, and there was no answer. I just knew there was something wrong. The only one I wanted was my dad. I remember saying, I need my dad. And um, they weren't on the phone at that time. I rang a friend of theirs and I said, can you go and get dad for me, please? I need him. And um, he walked. He walked from Newlyn to Mausol in awful weather. And then he walked to Lamorna and went out across the cliffs looking and he came back and he said, Janet, no man can, can survive it there tonight. It was all un so unreal, it really was, um, to think that I was never going to hear that whistling, because Stephen was a whistler. I used to hear him coming every lunchtime. You, I think, oh, he's on his way. And then he would tap my neighbor's window and say, shout through the window, what's the pensioners having to eat in here today? <laughs> then he would come in, you know, and even they said to me afterwards, oh, we miss that, we miss it so much. Because they, they never had any children and um, he always made so much fuss of them and they, they missed him. He was, he was such a large character, he really was. But life was really difficult, you know, two children and, and all that was going on as, at the same time and just couldn't, couldn't take it all in, really. But life goes on and you just got to get on with it, you know, especially with children um, and try to keep things as normal as, as possible. But um, yeah, it was very difficult. It really did, it took the heart of the village out because m those men were volunteers for everything. The sports days and the swimming sports and the harbour lights. They were so involved with everything that was going on that it took the, the cream of the village out at that time. Um, obviously uh, people have come in and, and filled it, but they were all local men. Um, living in the village, um, a big part of the village. And um, they, they were 
really greatly miss and it found that the older generations they were hurt that's the only way you can describe it they were hurt because they felt you know these young men are gone and um, the village took a long time to get back up on, on its feet um, I remember the first time I went out by myself I went along the road and I just kept looking at at the road, I, I thought I didn't want to make eye contact with anybody, and I thought, why am I doing this? This is silly. But that's, I just didn't want anybody to speak to me. I just wanted to go to the shop, get what I wanted, and what I wanted was a bottle of comfort, for, you know, for the washing. <laughs> and I went into the shop and I said, oh, I want a bottle of comfort, please. Oh, I want some comfort, that's what I said. And the, the shopkeeper came running around the counter and put his arms around me and gave me a great big hug. And I said, I didn't mean that type of comfort. But, um, you know, it was just, it, it made you smile. It makes me smile when I think back over it now, you know, after all these years. Um, it sort of lessened the tension that I was feeling that I didn't want people to, I didn't want people to stop and speak to me. I, I didn't want to be in the street and, be stopped and but you know we gradually we got around it and went out at the time and obviously with young children and and it was just I was supporting Stephen in a way I was helping the RNLI I was supporting him and then after he was lost uh, I didn't quite know what to do and I went to speak to uh, Trevelyan's mum, Mary, we were great pals, and um, I said, I don't know what to do, Mary. She, uh, her words were, what are we going to do about this lot? That was her exact expression. And I said, I don't know. She said, I think we'll carry on. And because she'd said it, I thought, if Mary can do it at her age, I can. And I carried on, and I'm just so glad I did, because it's a big part, obviously, of my life now. And I just really, I really enjoy it. I just, I just love the whole thing, you know, working in the shop, meeting people, and talking to people that come along and when I come over here and meet different people, it's just a big, obviously a very big part of my life now and fill my life up, really. Because I, I, at the time, I thought, my children are going to grow up and they're going to get their own interests. So I've got to have something for me. And I just carried on. One day when I was in the shop, in our old shop down on the front of Penzance, on the waterfront, uh, a young man came in with his son. And I could hear him talking to his son, telling him all about the Solomon Brown and uh, how he been taken on board the Solomon Brown when he was a little boy, about the same age as his own son. And uh, this little boy was listening and was really interested. And when he came over to me, um, I said to him, I said, you, you went on the Solomon Brown? So he said, yes. So I said, do you know who showed you around? He said, oh, chap with a beard. And I said, well, actually, I said, that was my husband. I said, Stephen Madron. And the poor man has started to cry. And I felt, I, I really thought, oh, gosh, I wish I hadn't said anything. But he said, oh, I'm so thrilled to think you've allowed me to talk to my son about this and, and to meet you. Um, he said it was such a day that had 
stuck in his mind all those years, you know. Sometimes you can take to a person, you think, well, I will just say, yeah, I, I was involved and, you know, and, and just say that uh, my husband was lost. And, because we can't change it, but I was, I'm so proud of what, what he did or what he tried to do. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, I love working in the shop and meeting all these people and it's great. When I answered the phone and uh, Mark said, it's Mark Dowry here, I thought, CEO of Lifeboat, whatever could he want on a Sunday morning? But, um, and then when he asked me, I, I was speechless and my first reaction was to say, I can't do that. No, there's too many, you know, too many people within the RNLI that would deserve it more than me. Um, and I, my reaction was to say no. And he said, I'll give you two or three hours to think about it, Janet. And I went off and went to chapel and thought about it, really. It, that was all that was on my mind. And when I came out, I thought, I can do this. And I'm, I, I'm so privileged to be asked and honored to be asked. So um, yes, and I can't thank Mark enough for allowing me to take his place, basically, because he was the original person that was asked. Um, and to think he thought of me, really. I just, I, I can't get over that. And I thought, gosh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, amazing. I wore Stephen's medal and my BEM and I just felt so proud, so proud and privileged to, uh, well, to be part of it all and to represent the whole RNLI. It was a real honour. It was just wonderful. Where I was sitting, I was on the end of a row and all these people, these important people were coming past me and um, the choristers and, and choir people and all walking down past and singing oh it was it was amazing at the end when he played um sleep deary sleep wow oh my goodness me on the uh, bagpipes gosh that was that hit home actually that really did and i thought oh this is final you know it's it's she's gone and we'll never see the lights of her again although i hope king charles will do a good job <laughs> I hope he does. But, um, yeah, it was very, very special. The music was beautiful. It was beautiful. The singing, the organ playing, everything. It was, it was lovely. Mm, I just, I just can't, I just don't know why me, put it that way. I just couldn't get that through my head. But still, I did it and it was wonderful. And I keep saying wonderful, um, even though it was such a sad occasion, that the whole thing was to actually be there was unreal. It really was. Hello, this is Seth Lakeman. You've been listening to the RNLI's 200 Voices collection. To hear more remarkable stories, 
head to rnli.org slash 200 voices or subscribe to RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. 200 Voices is an adventurous audio limited production for the RNLI.